talk a little louder. That way, I don't know why it's gremlins. Who knows? This old, the, this old building, the, the air goes, the wind goes through it, and it just goes, you know. So, you still can't hear me? Yeah, I'm windy, long-winded. So, all right, Romans chapter number 9. Romans 9. And uh, we're down in verse number 30, so let's just start there in verse 30. And uh, the goal this morning is to finish the chapter. And uh, we're only on 107 lesson number, 107 here, and we're just now getting done with chapter 9. We're at the halfway point. There's 16 chapters, so, uh, you know, we got a few more to go. But uh, verse 30, what shall we say then? that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they, and that's going to be Israel, sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So what we have now is Paul is concluding the chapter. And Paul is now going to, up to this point, the three objections, he's been, he's been telling Israel what's been happening, what's been going on. Why? Why this? Why? You know, now it's the why. Now it's why all of this is happening. And again, Israel today is in a, is in a status of being accursed. They've been set aside. They're not God's people today. They're, and, and literally, they're not even under that fifth course of judgment because all of that gets interrupted by the, the, the dispensation. But they were prior to the, the vessels of dishonor. We've looked at that, the vessels of wrath. And God shaped them as well as the Gentiles, there verse 24, even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, into vessels of mercy, vessels of long-suffering. So, so now Paul is going to come in and he's going to say, hey, listen, Israel is in her condition because of her unbelief. All right, so let's pray. We'll go set the tables up and have a good afternoon, morning, okay? You know me better than that, all right? <laughs> We're going to massage this out a little bit. But the thing is, is when Paul talks here about, hey, here's why this is happening. Here's why God is legally right and able to do what he's doing. And it has to do with Israel's unbelief. Now, before we get into the details, I want you to remember something. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 9 and go get, uh, yeah, look at chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Before we get into the conclusion here, we have to remember that Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, is very aware of, of him participating in Israel becoming accursed. 
In verse 2, when he says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. When he says that, he, he's literally, I don't know if you've ever been guilty to the point of being just sick. He is sick about this. Because he's come to the understanding that he has participated in Israel becoming accursed. He's participated in it. And in, 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 in in he, he understood that he played a significant role in Israel's unbelief. And yet God did what? Is going to use him to introduce a new dispensation to introduce a new status in Israel, a new status in the world, and and, and introduce a newness here. And he does it, and Paul, again, Paul is not, Paul's not just running through this. He's very well aware of what's happening. Come over to Philippians uh, Philippians 3. So when we get into 930, and, and, and he's talking about, you know, what shall we say then, Paul is going to begin to explain the reason why God's doing what he's doing. But the reason is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more personal for him. Uh, Philippians 3, verse number 4, Paul says, Though I might also have a, ta- a confidence in the flesh, if any, other thing, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he must trust in Christ, I more circumstances. Trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, I'm sorry, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. As Saul of Tarsus, and when we go back to Romans 9, when we started Romans 9, and we introduced it, I, I told you, you got to think about Paul as two characters, as Saul of Tarsus. What was he in Acts 7? He was consent, Acts 8.1, he's consenting to the stoning of Stephen. They didn't stone Stephen until he gave the thumbs up. He's out, Acts 9, getting letters and, uh, from, from the, the, the elders, and he's out persecuting that way, the verse says. And when he's doing that as Saul of Tarsus, when he's doing that, he's, he's contributing to Israel's path of unbelief. Now, as Paul, the apostle, Acts 9, now he's learning, hey, you know what? I, that's why in Timothy he'll say, I was a blasphemer. I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Why? Because he's, un, he's coming to a realization here of what's happening. So when you come back now to nine to chapter 9, as we conclude this, I don't want you to think that Paul is just, you know, pointing the finger. You know when you point your finger at somebody, you always got those three pointing back at you, you know? He's not just pointing the finger and saying, ah, look at him, you know. He's like, no, I was a con- major contributing factor to these guys. What's that? I'm not on. Okay, well, they'll figure it out. They're in there talking, so it'll be all right. So look here at verse 30. As Paul begins to say, what shall we say then? 
Now, you have to remember, God doesn't do anything on a whim. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he's acting and operating according to that legal purpose. So Paul, now, all right, let's conclude this chapter. Let's conclude the matter here. What's been going on? Those, Israel has legitimate objections. We've gone through three of them. They're legitimate. They, for over 1,500 years, have been God's people, and now they're being told, you're no longer God's people. By the way, God has no people today. He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He doesn't have a nation. He doesn't work in a nation today. He, as they say, he's not in the real estate business. So when you come here, as he begins now, why did God do what he did? Why did he set Israel aside? Why is he looking at Israel and says, You're, you are now accursed, and I'm turning to the Gentiles? That, if you look over at chapter 11, he says it here in 11, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled but that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. That, how is it that he can do that? Why is it, why did God do this new dispensation? So this becomes a dispensational argument here, if you will. And in chapter 10, we'll start there next time, we're going to get more details about that and so forth. But for now, back here in chapter 9, we're going to conclude the matter. We're concluding these objections. And Paul is demonstrating God has a legal right to change the program and to go do something among the Gentiles. He has a legal right to change the status of Israel and go do something else. Now, if you look at verse 30, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness hath attained a righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Notice, that's the only talk about the Gentiles. Because what Paul's going to push home here is, is God didn't go, isn't working among the Gentiles as if they earned it or as if they deserved it now. You know, sometimes you'll say, you'll hear people say, well, God was dealing with Israel, now it's the Gentiles' turn. No, they didn't attain to righteousness at all. They didn't even have the law given to them. God is the one that's doing what? Now working among the Gentiles. He's not working among the Gentiles here, not because they earned it or they deserved it. They didn't earn anything. But rather, it's according to the riches of the grace of God. It's His graciousness. It's His mercy. It's His. Now, verse 31. But Israel. Never, never miss the buts. But God. But Israel. So the, next, the, the rest of the chapter here in the answer, in the conclusion, is dealing with Israel because the problem lies not in the Gentiles. It lies in Israel. And the reason that God has the right to do this is because he is responding to Israel's response to his word and to what he was doing. You follow that? Okay, that, so this is, I, I've, I've seen people trip over and break their spiritual foolish necks on this stuff, and it's not difficult. I, we were, anyway, I, we were at the swap meet yesterday, and it's a, uh, they, uh, 
Marlon, the guys were dealing with some folks, and we had a guy walk by, and he, he made the comment about, you know, uh, I think Nick was talking to him. He made the comment about, oh, we don't know where we're going. We're all going to hell, and this is heaven right now, and hell's. And I was like, okay, but, but what is that? That's ignorance, see? That's what that is. And he wouldn't even stop long enough for anybody to say, hey, you know, can we help you, <laughs> you know? When you get into this, look at verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the righteousness, after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why, why is God still finding fault with Israel? Why is he still, why, why is after 1,500 years or better, he's now doing this? Because what did they do? Israel possessed the law of righteousness, but what were they? They didn't operate according to faith. Verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Now we'll stop there because there's a period. <laughs> and that 31 and that 32a is loaded, okay? And then we'll get into the stumbling. But see, Israel... Why did God set Israel aside? Why did he turn to the Gentiles? Why is he doing this? Israel had an opportunity to respond positively to the word of God. By how? By faith. But they didn't do that. Now, there is a believing remnant. He's not talking about the believing remnant. He's talking about Israel. Because who's objecting to Paul's new message? Not the believing remnant. They're on board. It's who? It's Israel. Because now Paul's out there saying, hey, <laughs> you've lost your special status. And you're under the... Now, now notice what, what happened. Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the what? Works of the law. Again, what does Paul say? Touching the law? Blameless. Yet he was still... What was he? He was still guilty of not seeking the righteousness of the law by faith. Do you follow that? Look, 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 got to catch this. Look at Philippians 3 again. Look at Philippians 3, verse 6. And, and, and then look at Romans 9, verse 32. 31 and 32. Philippians 3, 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, what? Blameless. But he still says in 1 Timothy that what was he? Guilty. I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. See, Paul, now go back to 931, but Israel, which followed, not, uh, followed after the law of righteousness, how did they follow the law of righteousness? By doing the works? They were blameless. That Pharisee st stands in that uh, temple there and thumps his little chest and says, I'm, I'm not like the publican over here. I'm righteous. I tithe on this. I do this. I, and he puts on the religious garb. And what happens? The Lord said that the publican goes home justified. This guy's going to hell. Why? Because they're in the religion 9.32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. So just because Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was keeping the law, he was still what? 
guilty of breaking the law. Why? Because he was doing the works of the law, but not by faith. He was doing the works of the law in the energy of his own flesh. Now, that's a condemnation here. The whole reason, you need to be back in Romans 9 if you're not there, the whole reason that God has a legal right to do what he did, and really what he's doing, is because of Israel's response, not only to the claim of the word of God throughout her history, but also here, as Paul is now going to focus in on this issue of a stumbling block, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. You see, Israel, God set Israel aside because of her very response to a very specific individual that he sent. Who, who would that be? The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So the stumbling issue here is really the issue. You see, they've got the law. They understand what the law requires, but they didn't follow the law after faith. So when the, Lord, when the Father sends the Son, what do they do with the Son? They stumbled over him. And God says, okay, because you stumbled at him, now I'm going to do this. But I'm doing it in response to your response. This isn't, again, God doesn't do stuff on a whim. Oh, I think we'll do this. Oh, you know, dark skies today. No, he's got a plan and a purpose. Here's what he's doing. And then man comes in and participates in that. And God says, okay, when you're doing that, then I'll do this. And when you do that, I'll do this. And that's why we looked last time, and actually over the whole study of nine here, of Israel's history. Israel's history. He looks at Moses and says, listen, Moses, go in. You can go in and speak for me. And when you do, they're going to want a sign. So take that staff and throw it on the ground. And when it becomes a snake, you pick it up and becomes a rod again. And if they don't believe the first sign, here's the second sign. You take your hand, you put it in, it comes out leprous, put it back in, comes out clean. And if they don't believe the second, here's a third sign. You take a jug of water and it's going to turn into blood or wine. Sorry, water to wine, water to blood. You see, he was going to give them signs, wasn't he? The Jews require a sign. But because they had the sign doesn't mean they believe. Remember the guys on the cross? The Lord's hanging there. They, the leaders walk by. Hey, if you be the Christ, if you be the king of the Jews, come on down off of there. Show us a sign. And he's like, I've been doing signs since day one here. So the reasoning here is her response to a very specific individual. That's what the end of verse 32 there, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And Paul quotes Isaiah 8 there. And in a minute, we'll, I'll show you where the Lord quotes it as well. So God is responding to Israel's rejection of his son. And that's going to be where Paul emphasizes here. And that fact, that issue of instead of Israel receiving God's law by faith. They rather went over here and did it by works. They responded in their own self-righteousness. 
they respond in their own, we can do it on our, on our own, and that resulted in them killing the Messiah. And Peter gets them, you know, Peter nails them in, in chapter 2 of Acts, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5. He's nailing them for, ki- for killing the Messiah. The Lord changed it from murder to manslaughter. Peter says, you murdered him. Peter put it right back where it belonged, see. Now, Peter doesn't have any, you know, well, he is Peter, I guess, so. But the thing is, is the response here, not by faith, as it were written by uh, verse 32, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. And again, that's Paul's stressor here. The only response that God will ever accept from man, no matter where you're at, Genesis to Revelation, is the issue of faith. Faith in the word to that man in that moment in time. Because he's God and he's worthy, his word is worthy to be believed. So when God looks at Noah and says, build an ark, he doesn't say that Christ died for your sins and was raised again the third day. He says what? Build an ark. When he looks at Abraham and says, hey, this is what's going to happen, and Abraham believed him. Why? Because what what did Abraham believe? He was going to have a seed. That's what Abraham believed. He didn't believe that he was going to trust Christ in, in the shed blood. See, it's so when you think here about the issue of what Paul is stressing, they didn't operate by faith because who was the law? What's the intent of the law? See, that's the issue here. What does the law have to do with the stumbling stone and the rock of offense? That's a question that comes out of this. Why, why is Paul putting the two together? Because the law, come over to Galatians 3. The the law clearly points to someone. And he's telling, Paul is educating the, Galatians 3, Paul is educating the Jew, but he's also educating us dumb thump Gentiles as well, that the, the intent of the law was not to justify someone to eternal life. The intent of the law was to point was to bring Israel, to bring that Jew, the Gentile, the world, to an understanding that they needed a Savior. They needed a Redeemer. They need a Messiah. You remember Romans 3? I know you're in Galatians 3. What did, in Romans 3 there, verse 19... Now we know that whatsoever things were in the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What did the law do? It made the whole thing guilty. But what was the law designed to do? Push you to an understanding that you need a redeemer. And I should say the you here is Israel, okay? Do you remember Exodus 19? When Moses is, comes down the mountain. There's the noise in the camp and, and all that. And that. Well, that's Exodus 20. Exodus 19, they come to the mount, and God says, 
You're going to be my people. If you obey my word, you'll be a kingdom of priests to me, a royal, peculiar people. And they say, yes, anything you say, we'll do. And instantly God turned from a, from a calm, peaceful, quiet God to an angry, wrathful God because that's not what the five tests of Jehovah was designed to teach them. The five, the five compound Jehovah's there from the Exodus crossing the Red Sea to that moment was designed to teach them that they needed a Savior, a Redeemer, a Helper, a Messiah. See, Jehovah, I am, fill in the blank. Whatever you need me to be, that's what I'll be to you. And they didn't catch that. They said, you just tell us and we'll do it. Wrong answer. Their answer should have been, wonderful, that's great, we love you, we thank you for everything, but we just can't do it on our own. We need help. They didn't, they didn't respond that way, and that's been their story even to today. So the purpose of the law was to bring the Israelite to the need, to the understanding of a need of a Messiah. Now look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse, well, verse 22. Let's just start there. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. So who all, is all under sin? That's everybody, okay? That, why did Scripture conclude all under sin? That the promise by, now watch, faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Notice it's not your faith in Christ, which is what the new Bibles do there. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. So whose faith are we now talking about? Jesus Christ, the faith of Christ. Okay, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. But before faith came, whose faith are we talking about? Not your faith. Verse 22 is established the faith we're talking about is the faith of Christ. So before the faith of Christ showed up, before Christ showed up, before Jesus Christ faithfully did what he did, we, the Jews, were kept. You know what kept is? Kept is in bondage. They kept them. They're in the bondage of the law until who shows up? Until Christ shows up. Don't you remember in the Gospels where Luke and them, the boys say, the prophets and the law were the issue until John, and now the kingdom's the issue, and every man's pressing into it? Please shake your head yes. You see, the law, the, the Lord, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. He shows up and he says, listen, Moses told you don't do this. I'm telling you, if in your heart you think it, you've done it. You see, the Lord is moving this from just black and white on paper down into their real issue is that they're sinners and they need a Savior. Keep going. Verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. You know what a schoolmaster is? It's a teacher. It's, someone, it's a tutor and a governor. To bring us unto who? Christ that we might be justified by what? You see, where, is it, where are they justified? By faith. By the way, whose faith? It's his faith. Not your faith. 
Your faith comes in a little bit, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. You see, Galatians has nothing to do about how you get justified. Romans 1 to 5 took care of that. Galatians has to do with you taking the law and grace and mixing them together and saying everything's hunky-dory. And that I got to keep the law to get saved. I got to keep the law to stay saved. I got to keep the law to prove I am saved. And Paul's driving home, hey, you have no chance of doing that because the intent of the law was to push you to Christ. And if you go to Christ, what, is, what does grace say? It's a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That means if it's a gift, you can't do anything. You know what the offense of the grace is? You can't help. That's why grace is offensive to people. Because what do people want to do? Help. We, we have to do our part. No. Paul over there in 1 Corinthians 15 he says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I labor more abundantly than you all, but it's not I, but it's who? Christ in me. You see, Paul lays it out. We, I don't, we're not preaching ourselves. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because he's the issue, not you and I. We're just this earthen vessel. So the law was a system that God initiated that was to... Be that, that was to come in and push and to take to be the schoolmaster and to take Israel and get them to the point of you know what we can't keep the law, we need help, we need a Messiah, we need a Redeemer, we need a Savior, we need Jehovah. That, that's the whole, and you know what Israel did. They didn't work by faith. You know what faith would have said? Faith in the law. Look with me at Luke 22. I just, this is just fascinating how Paul picks up on this in Romans 9, driving it home to why are things happening? Why does God have Israel set aside, interrupted program, why, and doing this over here amongst the Gentiles, and taking the Jew and the Gentile where there is no difference, and, they, and he's making this new unit? How can he legally do that? And he says, you know why? Because Israel didn't operate by faith. They operated in the energy of their own flesh. Look at Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44. This is after the resurrection. And uh, well, it's not twenty-two. How about twenty? How about twenty-four? How about twenty-four forty-four? How about that? Do I hear that? Is that? Do I got one? Do I got two? Do I got a five? How about a ten-dollar bill? <laughs> Help somebody. Luke twenty-four forty-four. Sorry, twenty-four forty-four. This is after the resurrection. The Lord is meeting with the, little, the, the, the remnant of the little flock that's left there. They've all run. They've all been in lockdown. He's talking with the disciples. Actually, it's the ten in the upper room. And he says, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning who? Concerning Christ. So what would faith had done? 
faith would have recognized that the whole Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, were talking about somebody called the Lord Jesus Christ, called Jehovah. See, that's what faith would have done. Faith would have looked over there and said, He is the one. He, the low in the volume of the book, it is written of me, the Son says to the Father. You see, faith would, would have said, would have recognized that the whole Old Testament was all about their need of a Savior. Here he's confronting Israel. Actually, he's confronting the little flock, reminding them, but he's confronting Israel. And come over to John chapter 1. And the, what's fascinating is the Lord does this over and over with Israel. And, he's, and basically he's saying, you know what, guys? The information's already been there, but you're just not studying it. You're not investing. Do you not, have you not read? He'll say, I'm over and over again. You do err not knowing the scriptures. Eh, you know, a bunch of Bible blockheads. They don't know. When the, Lord, when the wise men show up and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? We've seen this. They, they didn't go, oh, yeah, man, he's over here. We got him up here at the Hilton. They didn't say that at all. They were what? Worried and concerned, and they start getting angry and hostile. And, oh, you know, they're worried. John 1, look at verse 45. John 1, 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him. Now watch of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at that. Deuteronomy 18, Philip and Nathaniel, what have they been doing? They've been studying that Old Testament, and you know who they know should be here? The Messiah. That's what faith would have done. But Israel's not operating by faith. They're operating by what? Works of the law. They're doing it in their own energy, their own self-righteousness. Come over to John 5. John chapter 5. John 5. John 5, 38. John 5, verse 38. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Search the scripture, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of, look at that, of who? Of me. The Lord is looking at these guys, and what does he say? Search the scripture. Now, what scripture would they search? The Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, Moses, the law. And you know what? <laughs> I love that. And for in them ye, what? Think. No belief. No faith. You think you got it. In them ye think. You have eternal life. That's a picture of their self-righteousness. I think I'm doing good enough to get by. Can I just skate just a little bit? Drop down to verse 45. Do not think... Look at, look at these guys. They are sucked up into their own mindset. Don't think. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. 
Who do they trust? Who's their, who's their big guy? Moses. The Jews here, think about this. Think, think about a Jew, an Israelite, at the great white throne judgment, claiming to have never been told about Jehovah or the Messiah. What's the judge going to do? That's what he, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses even You know what? The, the son's going to go there and he's going to say, hey, wait a second. You had Moses. That was your big boast. You had the Old Testament. That was your big boast that the scriptures were yours. Verse 46, for had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Wow. He's just nailing them. Because what is the nation operating in? Unbelief. So in Romans 9, when Paul begins in here, and he says, the problem in Israel is unbelief. They had the testimony. They had the word of God. They had the scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They had it all. And yet they still... They, they didn't do anything with it. They stumbled. They missed him. They stubbed their big toe on the big rock, capital R. Come back over to Matthew 21. You see, the problem in Israel is that they had God's word. They just didn't believe it. Matthew 21, on your way, stop there and mark. Mark 7, Mark chapter 7. I, th- I, don't, I think truer words not only were said in the moment, but these can be impacted to you and I today in the age of grace. Mark 7, 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Where are they at? They're, they're moving, they've, they've left the Word of God. They've just got it plastered on the overhead so people feel good that, hey, we got Scripture today. Verse 13, making the Word of God of none effect. How? Through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things, what? Do ye? Go to Mark 21. You see, what are they, what's Israel doing? By the way, the Gentile, the body of Christ as a whole does this today. What do they do? They hold the traditions of the fathers. Well, we do this because everything, and rather than come to Scripture and say, hey, here's what Scripture leads us to understand. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, we'll start in verse 33. The Lord here is going to, he's teaching Israel, teaching the little flock. He uses parables to do it. By the way, he uses a parable so that the apostate nation does not get, understand what he's talking about. But yet he explains two of them so that the little flock, the believing remnant, do get it, do understand. We understand that from Matthew 13. 
But now watch verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let, let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So you've got the, the householder. There's God, the Father. You've got the vineyard. There's Israel, the, the, the nation. Then you've got husbandmen. You've got, uh, that's the, the religious rulers, back up in verse 23, the chief priests and the elders, the leadership. You, you've got built a tower. The tower is the religion that he gave to Israel. That's, who, that's what a tower is, Matthew 21, 33. The wine press, what do you do in the wine press? You stomp out the grapes. There's a, there's a picture of, hey, that's going to be the place of his fury and his wrath. That's there. And, and he let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So what's he do? He creates this nation in the earth, and then he remo- let, gives them the, their religion, gives them their instruction, and then he leaves. And when the time of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen. Who would be the servants? Well, that's going to be verse 35. The, took his servants and beat one and killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. So the servants there, that's the prophets. Okay? He sends the prophets to them. He, he, then in verse 37, but last of all, he sent unto them his son. There's the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got his servants, you've got the prophets and the little flock and the, the 12 apostles. You've got all of these mouthpieces that God the Father has sent to Israel. And what did they do to them? They rejected them. They killed them. They, and they, uh, verse 37, But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. It's nothing new. should not be a shock to anyone that Israel's ultimate goal in their response to the birth of Christ is to kill him. What did Herod do? Kill the two, two-year-olds and under. Kill him. Kill him. Why? Because that's the course of the world since day one with the adversary saying, what? I'm going to wipe out God's people. That's my job. That's my goal. That's my desire. Verse 39, and they caught him and they cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord thereof, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these, those husbandmen? Uh-oh. They killed him. What, what, what's he going to do to them? Now watch their response, verse 40. When, verse 41. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Notice their response. Their response is spot on, isn't it? Their response is, is he's going to second coming them. He's going to clean their plow. Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected. See, there's that stone again. The Lord is called the stumbling stone. He's called the chief cornerstone. He's called a cornerstone. He's called a precious stone. He's called a grinding stone. 
He's a stone. What's happened? He's going to become the cornerstone. In construction, the cornerstone is where you set all your measurements off of. There he is. The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, that's the same passage that Paul quotes in Romans 9. The Lord's quoting it here. But the, the quote, the Lord's not saying they are stumbling. Paul says that. What's the Lord say? What does he say? This, and whosoever shall, what? Fall on this stone. It doesn't say stumble, it says what? Fall. You see, the Lord's he's making the application to Israel in her program. What's going to happen? They're not stumbling over him. They have fallen on. It's, it's a grinding time. It's what? Vessels of wrath. It's wrath time. Jesus Christ is talking about their rejection. They fall. Paul's talking about the stumbling over this stone. The missing of him. The, the tripping over him. So when did Israel begin to stumble over the person of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't stumble at the cross. The cross is the rejection of the rock. The cross is the, is this, is the complete, completion of their rejection. When did they, they start stumbling over him? When he did what? When he showed up. Born of a virgin. You, you, did I lose you? Okay. This is critical to get, in my thinking, come back to Isaiah 8. And notice where the quote is. You see, Israel has two responses. There's two responses to the stone. I thought about spending an hour just looking at the stone. <laughs> and then I was like, eh, we better keep moving. <laughs> we'll be 110 lessons before we're out of nine. You ought to spend some time looking at that stone issue. They have two responses to the stone. One, they can reject him. And two, they can do what? Believe him. Trust him. Say, he's our head cornerstone. He's the corner. He's the one. There he is. And by the way, that's what Philip and Nathaniel and those guys were doing in John 1. What'd they say? He's the one that Moses was talking about. We found the Messiah. We found the Christ. There he is. See you later, John. Poop. We're over here now. <laughs> And John's like, that's good, because that's who I'm pointing you to. Go be a part of that. Look at Isaiah 8. Here's the, notice Isaiah 8, verse 14. And he shall be for a sanctuary. Now, if you read verse 13, sanctify the Lord a host himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. See that Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, the armies, the, that Lord of Sabaoth we were looking at last time? The issue there of the wrath and the Lord of armies, the Lord of war, the warlord, here he is. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, 
but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice that God the Father lays in Jerusalem a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, a snare in the person of his Son. Verse 15, And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and off you go. There's the quote. There's what Christ is quoting. That's what Paul's making a quote to. And you know what? He literally, look at that. Look at verse 15. And many among them shall what? Stumble and fall. He's just laid out the timeline of Israel's history, didn't he? Once again. There's going to be some that stumble. By the way, there's some that don't stumble. The little flock, the believing remnant. But then they're going to stumble and then they're going to do what? They're going to fall. And they're going to fall under that grinding stone and that that. That thing, man, Daniel over there, Daniel 2, and the description there of Nebuchadnezzar's thing, and that stone that's made cut without hands, and it comes and it just pulverizes it all. There he is. Now, look back at chapter 7 of Isaiah, and look at verse 14. Because the stumbling happens at the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first coming. That's where the stumbling is, okay? How do you know that? Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a what? A sign. The Jews require a sign. Psalms, they cry, where are our signs? But again, just because they get a sign doesn't mean they believe. Again, Moses, he got three signs up front to go and to do. So he's going to give them a sign. Watch the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, isn't that interesting? Notice what the sign is. The sign is what? A virgin's going to come and have a baby, and his name is going to be called what? Actually, it's going to have a son, and his name is called Emmanuel. Notice what the sign, the sign doesn't just end with a virgin giving birth to a son. The sign contains that, but and who? Who the son is. Who is he? He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. The great promise of the father to the nation of Israel is that I will dwell among you. In his son, what are you going to call his name? Matthew 1.23, Emmanuel. That is God with us. So what's, what's, what's God doing here? He's giving it God what God what God's provi- pro- providing to Israel is when you see my son come he's going to dwell among you. He's the one the law is pointing you to. Verse 15. Isaiah 7:15. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and to choose the good, the land that thou would hoardest shall be forsaken of both her king. Man, when Christ comes, what's the condition of Israel? Verse 16. What's the land doing? 
man, it, they've rejected the land. Who, who's, who's running the land? The Gentiles are. Rome is. That fifth course of judgment. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to send you a sign. Go back to chapter 8. And the sign that I'm going to send you is who? My son. He's going to be born of a virgin. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why? Because that's what I promised you I would come and do. You see how the Old Testament's pointing to who? To Christ at every turn. Isaiah 8, look at verse 8, 8, 8. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the strength out of his wings shall fill the breath of, the land, of thy land. O who? Emmanuel. Not Jehovah, but who? Emmanuel. Why, why not say, O Jehovah? Well, because that, that's who it is. he is. Why say, O Emmanuel? What's the promise to Israel? I will dwell with you. And be your God, and you will be my people. Verse 10. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. So when you come back to Romans 9, and Paul concludes the matter here, Romans 9, 30 to 33, the conclusion is, is why does God have a legal right to do what he's doing, change the dispensation, set Israel aside as his kingdom people, nation people, and come over here and send his salvation to the Gentiles? And Paul said, God is legal, God is right, he is righteous in doing it, he's not breaking any of his own words, he's not breaking anything out there, because Israel all along has been operating in unbelief. And they've had the law, they're doing it in their own. So because of their unbelief, God responds by what? Putting them unaccursed, interrupting their program, doing something else. And ultimately, you know what Paul's saying is, Israel, you want him to be doing this. Because if not, he is gonna, when, his, when your program starts up again, he's coming as Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And wrath is coming. And right now, you want, him, you want this renewed opportunity here to get it right. But it's by what? It's by faith. They didn't have it. They didn't study Moses. They didn't work it out. So their whole, pro, their whole problem, the problem has never been with God. The problem has been with man, with Israel. God says, here's what I'm doing. I think about Abraham back there in Genesis when God puts him in a deep sleep and causes him to walk amongst the sacrifices there, the pieces of the animals laid out. And he says, I'm going to do this with you. God made the covenant with himself. He took Abraham and said, nah, this, man, this is man, you, you get to participate with me. And ultimately, because of that, now you're going to have to go do some things over here, and you do that, and you do this, and I'll do this. And he just says, here's my plan of reconciliation for the, for the earth. He kept the reconciliation for the heavenly places a secret. Here's the earth. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how I'm going to use the nation of Israel. And Israel, instead of embracing that by faith and saying, wow, they turn and they say, no, thank you. We'll do something else. 
So what does God do? He says, okay, it's time. At the moment when it's time to pour out my wrath, I'm going to pour out my grace. When the moment when it's to pour out my wrath, I'm going to pour out my long suffering. In the moment when I'm supposed to go to war, we're going to have some peace. And I'm going to change it right here, right on the moment, right in the time, right when it's supposed to happen. And then I'm going to, uh, Peter says it in 2 Peter 3, that he doesn't want any of us to, um, to perish, that none would perish, but that we'd all come to repentance. And that's where we're at. Now, in chapter 10, Paul's going to shift the gears a little bit. My bro- brother and my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And he's going to begin to deal with now Israel in a different manner because guess what's going to happen? Now there's going to be a few more objections raised and a few more arguments raised, and Paul's just going to put them down, and he's going to do so by dealing with Israel and her history again. Okay? And we'll get into all that starting next week. All right? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.